So, this was a long passage to read, but as we heard at the beginning of the service, the whole service today focuses on this Word of the Lord. And so, at the very beginning of this passage, in the very first verse, we read, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord is repeated in this chapter a number of times. And the emphasis on the word of God and what he has commanded and what he has spoken is throughout the chapter. And that's why it was in our songs and what the sermon is also about. That is really the theme of this chapter. That things are happening by the word of the Lord. But there's some strange stories in this chapter, aren't there? Got lions and donkeys and people dying and lying prophets who are clearly prophets of the true God. It's a lot to... Uh, lot to take in. So what I want to do is I just want to walk through this chapter with you and explain some of the context and make sure that we understand what's going on in this chapter and then we'll study all of the ways that the, the word of the Lord is revealed to us here. So the first thing to re realize is that if a man of God comes from Judah to Bethel, he is leaving the kingdom of the Davidic line, right? He's leaving the one kingdom that had the temple that had been split apart, and he's going down into the other part. He's, he's going to Bethel, which as we saw was where Jeroboam had set up golden calves to worship. Well, that, that matters because remember why Jeroboam set up the golden calves. He said he didn't want people to go back up to worship at the temple because he was afraid that they would begin to like Solomon's son, Rehoboam, again. And so now what you have is you have somebody coming down, or, or actually it's up, isn't it? North, yeah. Going up to his kingdom from the kingdom that he doesn't want anybody to have anything to do with because he's afraid that he'll have his kingdom taken away again. Remember that that's his fear we saw last week, that he's going to lose his kingdom. And so he comes up while Jeroboam is standing by the altar to burn incense. He comes straight into the worship service. Imagine if somebody came in the doors right now and began speaking in the middle of the worship service, out loud to everybody, so that that would be quite the interruption, wouldn't it? He didn't just 
begins speaking, he cried out against the altar. He cried out against the altar by that theme of ours, by the word of the Lord. By the Lord. So God had given him something to say. And it was a message of crying out against this altar, this false altar, this idolatry that Jeroboam had set up. And he says, Oh, altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David. Uh-oh. Just what Jeroboam didn't want. Just what he was afraid of, right? The house of David. Oh no. The people are going to return to the house of David. The people are going to return to that other kingdom. Yeah. This is, this is what he was afraid of. A son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you, speaking to the altar, remember, he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. Wow. Remember what we had at the end of the chapter. Verse 33, after this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but again, he made priests of the high places from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. Would you want to be a priest after you had this message? The message was Josiah is going to sacrifice the priests of the high places on this altar. Yikes. Doesn't scare Jeroboam though, does it? Jeroboam continues to appoint priests. Well, it's one thing to say something terrible is going to happen. It's another thing to provide proof. And this man of God, this prophet from the Lord, makes another prophecy in order to prove the truthfulness of what he's saying. The sign on that same day is, the altar shall be split apart and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now, that's pretty unequivocal, isn't it? Either it happens or it doesn't happen. Either the sign comes to be or it doesn't come to be. And it came to be, didn't it? But first, you've got Jeroboam. Standing at the altar, stretching out his hand. Seize him! But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. On second thought, don't seize him. 
How long do you think he stood like this before he thought, yeah, I better do something? Ah. <laughs> and then the altar was split apart and the ashes poured out according to the sign. The sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, again and again and again in this passage. So what does the king say? Please, pray to God for me. I'd like to be able to use my hand again. And so the man did pray. He entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and it became as it was before. Now, so far what we've got is the prophet coming, speaking by the word of the Lord and being crystal clear in what's going on. He's giving a message not just to Jeroboam, but to all the people, that the worship of the Lord is to take place the way that God has commanded, the way that God has prescribed, in the place where God has given to worship. This altar is not a good altar. This altar is not for worshiping the Lord. This altar is a false altar. It will be destroyed. And it will be destroyed by somebody from the line of David. Which is just what Jeroboam was afraid of. Remember that God had said if he would simply worship him and obey him, that he would have a lasting kingdom. And now immediately when he disobeys and he begins to set up idols these, these golden calves for the people to worship, instead of God, God sends a prophet. Right into that false worship, right into that disobedience, right in the midst of it, and says, all right, the line of David's coming back. All right. That's your chance. That's the end of your kingdom. This altar is going to be destroyed. The false priests are going to be sacrificed on the altar itself. And here's the proof. And then the proof is right there. The altar is split. This is a false altar, isn't it? It's destroyed already. To have human bones burned on the altar, of course, would be the ultimate uh, ruin of any altar. The ultimate corruption. Because to burn human remains is itself despicable. To burn the human remains is to cause the corruption of 
that altar because to burn those priests on the altar is to show that everything that they did has been rejected by the Lord. They're not buried in peace in the ground waiting for the resurrection. They're burned up in their false worship. They have no hope in the Lord. And so they're burned. Well, from here the story gets a little bit weird. Right? From here the story gets a little bit weird. So far it's very just sort of prophetish, right? It's kind of what we think of with prophets. Oh, there's this word from the Lord and drama and uh, miracles, signs, wonders. It's amazing. The prayer's answered. The king gets his hand back. And then the king says, uh, come, Home with me. Refresh yourself. I'll give you a reward. Seize him. Ah, would you like to come to dinner? On second thought. Well, thankfully, the man had already been given his answer by the word of the Lord. Right? There was no question about whether he was supposed to go or not. He says, I will not... It doesn't matter what the reward is. Remember, he said, I will give you a reward. The reward is not a meal, you know. I mean, a meal is nice and all, but that's clearly not what is being implied here. And, and so the man says, even if you gave me half of your house, if the reward was 50% of everything you own, I would not come. How many of us can say the same? That the temptation of wealth Fabulous wealth isn't enough for us to just break one little command of God. Just one little command. No, he says, even if you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord. Saying, you shall not you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. Now that seems kind of like a strange command. Don't eat or drink down there or up there in Israel. Don't eat or drink up there in Bethel. But you know what it makes me think of? There's a New Testament command that's remarkably similar to that. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. 
not even to eat with such a one. And so now we have the question of whether we are willing to obey God's command. The prophet has the question before him, doesn't he? God says, don't eat or drink in Bethel. Don't eat or drink anything while you're up in Israel. And he says, okay, I'm resolved. I'm not going to do it. Even though the king has said, come with me and I'll give you a reward. Nope, I'm not going to do it. We also have a command. Those who are so-called brothers, but who are living in immorality, in sin, we are not even to eat with them. Does it matter whether we obey that command? It's been given by the word of the Lord, hasn't it? Right here, in, right here in the Bible. We've been given a command by the word of the Lord not to associate with, not even to eat with such a one. And so he leaves. Then we come to verse 11. Now an old prophet was living in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel. So the prophet's sons were where? The prophet lived in Bethel, right? His sons were where that day? What do you think, kids? They came and told him what had happened. Where do you think they were? Yeah, wit. They were at the altar. What altar? Was that an altar to worship God? No, that was the altar that Jeroboam set up, wasn't it? What in the world are the prophet's sons doing at the worship service to the golden calf? What a sad, sad thing. They told him, they come and told their father, their father said to them, which way did he go? So there's no doubt. It's not like they heard and came running and told their dad. They watched the guy leave. They, they were there, weren't they? And he goes and he chases him down. And he says, Come home with me and eat bread. Why do you think he did that? What do you think? You got an answer? Go ahead. So he could make him disobey God. It's possible. It's possible. I think it's just because he wanted to talk to him. It doesn't say why. 
I mean, obviously, he had a reason, right? But it doesn't say that God sent him. And it doesn't say that he had anything against him. In fact, later on, Zeal, what we read is that he really respected the guy. He wants to be buried in his grave with him in the end. I think he just wanted to talk to him. And yet, when the man said no, he lied to him. He said, I also am a prophet like you. That's true. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Note that phrase, by the word of the Lord. Saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. Now, all this emphasis on by the word of the Lord, and all of a sudden you have something that's reported to be by the word of the Lord, but is not by the word of the Lord. It's a lie. Does that give you any concern about what you read? what you listen to, what you watch that claims to be Christian, that claims to be by the word of the Lord. There have always been false prophets. And in this case, this man who is a prophet of the Lord becomes false, doesn't he? He lies saying, this is what God has said. By the word of the Lord, from an angel, I received this message. Come and eat with me. Have any of you kids ever had your uh, siblings say to you, Mom said. Have you ever heard that message? Mom said. If you've ever heard that, you have realized that it matters whether the messenger is telling the truth, doesn't it? You've had to ask yourself the question, is this actually a true message? We can all have ice cream for lunch. No, we can't. No, mom said. Seriously? You think that's what mom said? No. Mom didn't say that, right? And 15 minutes ago, she said we were having Brussels sprouts for lunch. She just said we're having Brussels sprouts and liver for lunch. And now you're telling me she said we can have ice cream for lunch? You've got to decide whether what you're hearing is true, don't you? You've got to decide whether what you're hearing is actually a message from the Lord. 
we're warned throughout the Bible that the servants of God, the messengers, the prophets, the priests, the religious leaders, the elders, the pastors, will raise up for themselves men who will tell them what they want to hear. Ice cream for lunch, everybody! And the child that's saying, no, she did not say that. Get out of here. Leave. We don't want to hear your message. And so it is with those who claim to be speaking the word of the Lord. We have to judge whether what they're saying is actually what God has said or not. Particularly when they tell you things that don't sound anything like what you've heard messages from the Lord be before. That sounds suspiciously like they're tailored to give you exactly what you want to hear instead of what God has to say to His people. That's when your ears have to be open. That's when your brain has to be on. That's when you have to be asking yourself, what do I know for sure God said? This man had received a message from the Lord directly. Don't stop and eat or drink anything there. He knew the message from the Lord. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to have some company for lunch and have some lunch before you have to travel back to another country? And so as they were sitting down at the table, then the word of the Lord came by the prophet who had just lied to him. And he cried to the man who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord and have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, what's going to happen? Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. Kind of puts a damper on the end of the meal, doesn't it? Strange that God uses the lying prophet, isn't it? But God has never been limited to use only a certain sort of person. And after all, this man was actually already a prophet. We know this. A lying prophet, yes, but a prophet. So he finishes his meal. The, other, the lying prophet gives him the donkey to borrow. And he leaves. And a lion kills him before he makes it home. 
you know, there's, there's two kinds of parents. There's two kinds of authorities. There's two kinds of bosses, two kinds of teachers. There's those that when they speak, you know you have to listen. And there's those that when they speak, you know you probably don't have to listen. We've all experienced both kinds of authority. Now let me ask you a question. When God speaks, do you have to listen? When He says, don't eat or drink there, you better not eat or drink there. It's this sort of thing that we read of in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. The outbreaking of God's punishment on His people for their disobedience. Remember Ananias and Sapphira who both dropped dead in God's judgment. Or Uzzah who reached out to touch the Ark of the Covenant and God struck him dead. Or the sons of Aaron who burned strange fire, strange incense before the Lord and God killed them. What do these things teach us? When God says don't touch, you don't touch. When God says don't eat, you don't eat. Right? It's possible, of course, for us to ignore loud people. I remember one kid whose mom, she was very loud. Everybody heard her. But guess who listened to her? Nobody. Not a one. None of her kids. And everybody else learned to tune her out too because you knew she wasn't going to do anything. Sad, isn't it? It's not about volume. But you can't ignore people who are truly authoritative, can you? Something about the tone. You realize, oh, they mean it. But more than that, it is the sure knowledge that they will back up their command with discipline. When God speaks, we know that He will accomplish what He's said. When he says, don't do this or else, or else is coming. 
God cannot be ignored. He makes His will known. He's given us the Ten Commandments. And not only has He given us the Ten Commandments, He has written His law in our hearts. Because we are made in His image, we know. Because creation declares to us His glory, we know we are to worship Him. He's given us a conscience so we know right from wrong. God makes His will known. He makes it clear. There's no ability to ignore it. To not hear it. And then, He not only makes His will known, He brings His will to pass. And isn't this what you see with the lion killing the prophet? There's no mistaking what has happened when the lion kills the prophet. It's not just some accidental fluke. One of those things that happens, you know, strange accident. You know, the dangers of travel are real and all of that. How can you tell? Because the lion just stands there next to the donkey, and next to the dead body of the prophet. Everybody who comes and sees it, sees, oh, something remarkable has happened here. God has judged this man. And now he's dead. Come to the end of the chapter. And the other prophet, the lying prophet, says, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the thing shall surely come to pass which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar. And against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. Why does he want to be buried by him? Because his message was from the Lord and it was sure. It was true. It was going to happen. Now this last week, the end of the week, Roe versus Wade was struck down. How many, six months ago, would have thought that you would live to see the day that Roe versus Wade would be struck down in this nation. Nobody. I don't think anybody would have thought that that was a real possibility. It's pretty miraculous, honestly. God brings about His will, doesn't He? Though the nation's rage though the peoples devise vain plots against him, though the rulers hate his word and hate his law, nevertheless, he brings about what he wants, his will.
our thanks, our praise, all of the glory goes to Him. He cannot be ignored. When He decides that row is done, row is done. That's it. But here's the thing that we need to remember as we think about Roe being overturned. What has actually been accomplished by that is not the ending of bloodshed in this nation. It is the taking away of one more excuse. You understand? Nobody anymore can appeal and say, ah, but this is a natural right built into the Constitution whose authors understood and feared the Lord and understood that He had given us certain inalienable rights. The court has said no. Actually, that's bogus. We were wrong. There is no such right. And that's it. And so now everybody knows from one more place. No, there is no excuse for abortion. There is no excuse for the bloodshed in our nation. There is no excuse. God has said what He will do to the nation who fears Him. He will bless them. God has also said what He will do to the nation that does not fear Him and that pours out innocent blood. He will judge and destroy such a nation. And so there is no doubt that unless this nation repents fully, that His judgment will come. It's just as sure a judgment as the lion standing next to the donkey and the body. What has come by the word of the Lord to us? Many, many, many messages have been given to us. How many people are trying to convince you that you don't really need to take the word of the Lord seriously. Many, many people. Many people who have been pastors, who are still pastors, Christian authors. It doesn't matter whether they're a prophet from God. When they begin to attempt to cause you Questions. Has God truly said, that's the moment you run away. That's the moment you stop listening. And it doesn't matter how much you want to hear what they have to say. It doesn't matter how much you like what they're saying. You don't trust them. You don't listen to them. You obey God's word instead. The things that have come by the word of the Lord. Remember, even a faithful prophet can start disobeying. The same as Solomon did. 
a faithful king, began disobeying. Is it really that shocking to us to see a prophet who then disobeys? To see a king who then disobeys? It shouldn't be shocking to us. Remember Jesus said, There is no one good but God. There is no one good but God. There are no true heroes except Jesus. There is no true word but His word. There is no command but His command. The words which come from Him The commands which are by the word of the Lord, non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. He will bring them to pass. And we'll read about Josiah. Can you imagine being the one to name your kid Josiah? That takes faith, doesn't it? We'll read about Josiah. We'll study Josiah. There are many, many people down through history, many faithful men who we can look up to in various ways. But remember, God alone is good. God alone is good. God's word alone is 100% trustworthy. Let's look to his word.